Welcome to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. Through the revelation of God's undeserved, unearned and unmerited favour, we are committed to helping you make better changes in life for life. of the Word of God this morning, and we are continuing uh, as we look on teachings around contending. Continue as we, can you, everybody hear me? Yeah, can you hear me clearly? Uh, I think there's a little bit booster we'll do, we'll do very well here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, we are contending, we are continuing with the subject on contending. Thank you so much, I think we are better now. Yeah, we're continuing with the subject on contending, on contending. And we have covered so far a number of areas that the Spirit of God is calling you and I to contend. You know, when we talk about contending, you're talking about putting the necessary effort for something to happen. Contending is a call to put necessary effort for certain things to happen in our lives. And I'm pretty sure by now you know, it's not a secret anymore, that uh, a number of things will never move until you make a move. But in life, generally, a number of things in life, both in our spiritual life as well as in our day-to-day lives, a significant number of things, if not all things, they hardly move if you don't move. Change hardly takes place if you don't also change. Am I talking to somebody this morning in the house? Change will never happen if you don't change. Yeah? An atmosphere will never change if you don't change it. Yeah? So it is necessary for us as believers to put the necessary effort for things to happen in our lives. For things to change in our lives, it is important as a believer that you exert force. You exert the necessary effort for things to change. We spoke of contending for the opportunity in as much as God gives us opportunities. But it is necessary, it is important for you to activate those opportunities, to seize those moments by you exerting the necessary effort by putting the needed effort for those opportunities to become a reality in your life. We spoke about contending for the progress. I'm sure this one we can all agree that progress will never take place as long as we don't exert the necessary force. As long as we don't put the necessary effort, progress will never change. In other words, we will never be able to change the status quo if we don't put the necessary effort. We spoke about contending for the promise. We spoke about contending for the promises. In as much as God has given us promises, but you need the spirit of Joshua and Caleb for you to possess the promises. For you to possess the promises, you need the excellent spirit a psychological or a mental disposition that says, I am going to go and get what God has promised unto me. Am I talking to the church this morning? And last week we spoke about contending for, for knowledge. I like this one. It's so dear to me. Contending for knowledge. And it's a call for you to invest in knowledge. Increase your knowledge best. It doesn't matter the area of your life. If you are going to push distraction away, it is important that you become intentional when it comes to knowledge. Increase your understanding. Increase your understanding. I don't know if I can emphasize it better than that, especially on the aspect of knowledge. Make it a habit. Increase your knowledge. When it comes to increasing your knowledge, you read books. Right, read books. Gone are the days that we used to take comfort in saying, me, I'm not into books. No, you need to increase knowledge. Get a book about the subject that you're studying on. 
especially areas that you are struggling in life. Invest in knowledge. Someone has already said something about that situation. And a number of people have already gone through what you are going through. And a number of people have already shared their experiences and how they came out of those moments. So there is a lot of information that you can access. I can, I can vouch for you on this one, that a number of things that we are struggling with is because of limited knowledge. It's because of what? It's because of limited knowledge. You've got little information. And you continue to revolve around the same old information that is not changing anything. It's time for an upgrade. It's time for an upgrade. And today we want to focus on contending for the next level. Today we want to talk on contending for the next level. And I'm asking God for grace for me to just go throughout the message talking the way I'm doing now. Because I really just want to talk to you. Right. I, I just feel, I just sense a grace this morning just to talk to you this morning. So I'm coming today with a heart of empowerment like last Sunday, but also posing a challenge on you. Placing a challenge on you as a believer. Glory be to God. Somebody say, contending for the next level. Oh, say like you mean it, contending for the next level. And our text for today is going to come from 1 Samuel chapter number 17. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. Allow me to just read a number of verses um, just to bring context to what we're going to be talking about. So I'm going to focus on 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 23, and we'll read up to verse number 37. 1 Samuel chapter number 17, verse number 23 to verse number 37. And as we're going to be looking at the story of David, our focus is going to be on discovering the key for the next level. The key that unlocks the next level is going to be our emphasis today. So 1 Samuel chapter number 17, verse 23 to 37. And I'm going to read here and it says, As he was talking with them, that is David, as he was talking to his brothers, no, uh, it's, we, we, as we come to this passage of scripture, David was not yet old enough to be part of those who go to war, to be part of the army of, of Israel, led by King Saul. So uh, David was back home together with his father, Jesse, and uh, now and again, his father would uh, uh, put some food on the side and ask David to take it to his brothers who would be out uh, in the battle, in the in the battlefield. So, in this scenario, David has been sent by his dad to go and bring some food, and also to check on how they're doing. Yeah, it's more like a welfare check, but the father is sending David to check. So, as we come to verse number three, we find David now arriving at the battlefield, and as he gets there, he is now talking to his brothers. And verse 23 says, as he was talking with them, his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from God, he stepped out from his lines. He stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. He shouted his usual what? Defiance. And David heard it. Thanks be to God. David heard the usual shout of defiance. Verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. The moment Goliath was inside, they all fled away. Verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, this is the army of Israel had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. I don't know why they are, they are saying that. They should be saying, he's defying us. It's like someone who's, who's standing there and he's saying, this man is defying those people. As if those who are talking are not part of the people that are being defied. You get what I'm saying? Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man comes out? 
he comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills this man. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him from council tax. Sorry. He will exempt him from taxes. And he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. You just think of council tax. You think of the other tax. What is it called? The payee tax? The income tax. Yeah. Just think about it. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure everyone who is in the context of the United Kingdom, this will be a miracle. Yeah, this will be a massive, massive, massive breakthrough. In verse number 26, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? What is going to be done? Now, his mind is thinking through a reward system. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse number 27. They repeated to him what he had been, what he had been saying and told him. What they had been saying and told him. So what is it that they repeated? They repeated the promise of the king that whoever is going to kill this man or overcome this man, three things are going to happen to this man. Number one, the king will give him great wealth. Number two, the king will give him his daughter to marriage. And then number three, the king will exempt him from all taxes. Verse number 28. When Eliab, this is David's older brother, when he heard him speaking with the man, the big brother burned with anger in him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how consented you are and how weakened your heart is. It's already telling us the nature of the relationship between David and his brothers. I know how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. But who, would, who wouldn't want to watch the battle? Honestly. You, you came just to watch the battle. Now, what have I done? David said. Can't I even speak? Give me a chance to speak. Yeah. Verse number 30. I, I like verse number 30, and I'm going to talk a little bit more on this one. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. He then turned away to someone else and brought up what? The same matter. The subject is not changing. But what's changing is my audience. I'm, I'm choosing to change my audience. But as far as the content of my subject is not changing. And the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. Verse number 32. David said to Saul, Listen to what David says. King, let no one lose a heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So he replied, listen to me, young man. You are only, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. Let no one despise your youth. And he has been a warrior from his youth. In other words, he's saying, young man, you, you, you are not qualified. Don't even attempt. But, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. So that means the animal came, that attacked, carried the prey. And David He's saying, verse number 35, I went after it. I would not just watch anyone of what is in my possession just be taken like that. David would not take comfort and say, you know what, it's just one that has been taken. No, I might as well just maybe protect now the rest. 
David would go after the bear or the, the lion. The Bible says, I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. That is the first level. Right. The second level is when it turned on me. So the first time the lion and the bear, they are not coming for David. They are coming for the sheep. And David is saying, when they came for the sheep, I went after the animal, the, 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 lion, the lion, and I destroyed it. But when the game changed, the lion is no longer coming from the sheep, but it's coming for me. David says, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and I killed it. So that means you must have the ability to look after what God has put in your possession. Number one, you must also have the ability to look after yourself. Am I talking to the church this morning? It's not enough for you to win battles for others. You also need to win personal battles. It's no benefit. Why oh, my goodness? Why am I getting started already? Let me slow down. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. These uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. We don't serve a dead God. He has defied the armies of what? Of a living God. Verse number 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the jaws of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So he's acknowledging that as I was fighting those animals, it wasn't me alone. God was involved in my battles. So say to David, I give up. That's my translation. Say, young man, you have, you have put up your pitch. I hate you. Go. And the Lord be with you. And the Lord be with you. Somebody say contending for the next level. Now, David's life was confined to the wilderness. And every time he came to the battlefield, he's coming not with a mission to join the army, but to look after the brothers and give a report back to his dad. So when you look at the entirety of his life, David's life revolved around the wilderness. David was an expert of wilderness living. That, that is where he was confined to. In as much as, you know, through his gift of, of playing the instrument, when you go to the previous chapter, chapter number 16, David had already been identified as an anointed young man who had a special gift of him on him of playing an instrument to the very extent that when King Saul was being troubled by an evil spirit, David would be called now and again to play the instrument for King Saul. And then when the spirit, the evil spirit departs from Saul, David would not continue to live in the palace. He had to go back to the wilderness. So the wilderness was the level where David's life was confined to. In as much as here and there, he had access to the palace. But it was only for an assignment. When the assignment is done, he had to go back to the wilderness. Am I talking to somebody in the house? But when it came now to this battle that we are talking about, David sees an opportunity for what I'm calling the next level. David sees an opportunity for the next level. If I'm reading between the lines and within the context of this story, David realized that a season for the wilderness must come to an end. It's time for a transition. It's time for a transition. So David steps on the battlefield. And as he steps on the battlefield, this is the 40th day of Goliath coming in and giving the usual shout of defiance, defying the armies of Israel. Now, it is important 
for us to maybe just have an understanding of this man that we are talking about, Goliath. Goliath was not just a usual man from what we all understand about this man. He was big in terms of size. I don't know whether in the UK I'm allowed to say that. He was big in terms of his size. Just by looking at him, it was a, 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 a communication enough for you to know what to do. Just by him standing in front of you, you would know what to do without anyone telling you what to do. This man was trained from a very young age to fight. So he has a past experience. He has a reference from the past. He is known for fighting battles. And as we look into this passage of the scripture, allow me to zero in as we look at the secret or the key to unlocking the next level. The secret to unlocking the what? The next level. So as David is coming to the field, there is a problem already. There is a problem on the battlefield. And the problem has been going on for 40 good days. No one is able to deal with the problem. And I'm here to bring a reminder to you. I'm here to bring a word of empowerment and a challenge to you this morning. And I'm simply saying to each child of God, the key that unlocks the next level is problem solving. The key that unlocks the next level, it is the key that is called solving a problem. Somebody say problem solving. Somebody say problem solving. So I want to spend the rest of this time exploring problem solving in order to unlock the next level. In order to unlock the next level. So there are four things that I want us to focus on. Number one, if we are going to unlock the next level through problem solving, number one, you must be dissatisfied with the status quo. You must be dissatisfied with the status quo. 40 days. 40 days of intimidation. 40 days of harassment. 40 days of mental torture. It yet turned into the status quo. When Israel woke up in the morning, I, I cannot even think of how they would go through the night for 40 days. I cannot imagine how these soldiers were able to go through the 12 hours of the day from 6 to 6. Knowing that they have a situation which they are not able to deal with. <coughs> Apology. Which they are not able to deal with. But when you listen to the conversations of the brothers and everyone else who is in the battlefield, I can almost conclude that they had accepted the situation. They had accepted that this is how things are just going to be like. And I want to believe that some of them, they were now taking comfort in the fact that they, Goliath is just coming to speak we run away and we come back to the same place. At least he is not hitting us. That's what they're saying to themselves. At least he's not throwing his spear at us. So they had become comfortable. They had come to a place where intimidation had become comfortable. They had come to a place where they were now finding comfort in being defied in being spoken down, in being talked down. Church of God, can I speak to you this morning? I know there are a number of people who are in this same situation. 
you have become comfortable with people talking you down. It has become so normal to you. Why? Because it has become a routine. It has become what? A routine in your life. And you are now accepting that as normal in your life. The same way the army of Saul, they had become comfortable in their new routine. This is a routine of stagnation. There was no progress. There was no progressive movement in what was happening each and every day. Brothers and sisters, if people go to the battle line, the first day they go to the battle line, if I was there, I would clap hands for them and pray for them. Well done, guys. You are brave. You are going to the battlefield to fight the battles for everyone. I would clap hands for them. When the enemy comes, Goliath, and he stands there, and the army is shaken, and they run away, and the following day, they come back to the same line, I would clap hands for them and say, you know what? You are bouncing back. I would, I would applaud them and I would encourage them and say, what? Yesterday you ran away, but today you came back to the battle line. That's courage. But brothers and sisters, if this then becomes your daily routine, for 40 days, I will not clap hands for you. Because now it's no longer courage. Because courage, it is not running away and coming back to the same place and not go past the same place that you were yesterday. Progress, it is moving from the same place. It is moving from where you are and going to another level. That is progress. If you stand here today and you run away, you go backwards, and tomorrow you come back to the same place, and the following day, you go back again and then you come back to the very same place. That is not progress. Am I talking to the church this morning? That is not progress. So what I'm seeing here, the army of Israel had become satisfied with the status quo. But when David stepped on the scene, he was dissatisfied with the status quo. And he rose up and he says, I am going to change this story. Something has to change. If my brothers are not willing to be part of the change, I am going to be the change everyone is believing God for. So I'm saying to you, child of God, be dissatisfied with the status quo. Somebody say, I'm going to be dissatisfied with the status quo. Don't accept things that are abnormal as normal. It's abnormal for you to stand on the battlefield for 40 days and 40 nights and not make progress. It's not normal. It's abnormal. Am I talking to the church this morning? Everybody look here. It's abnormal. Child of God, let's stop normalizing things that are abnormal. In your personal life, stop normalizing things that are things that are abnormal. It's time for us to challenge the status quo. So number one, be dissatisfied with what? With the status quo. Number two, overcome intimidation and discouragement. When it comes to problem solving, you've got to overcome intimidation and discouragement. Now listen to me, brothers and sisters. David wasn't intimidated by what Goliath had. Yeah. David wasn't intimidated by what Goliath had. David wasn't discouraged even by what he did not have. I'll repeat that because I, I want you to really get it. David wasn't intimidated by what Goliath had. At the same time, he wasn't discouraged by what he did not have. Let's look at what Goliath had. 
When you study the passage of the scripture that describes Goliath, the Bible talks about the height of Goliath. I did some homework for you, so I had to convert them to a language that you understand. So when you look at Goliath, just his height, he was about approximately 2.6 meters. Between 2.6 and 3.1 meters. The normal door, the normal door at your house, they're about two meters, if I'm not mistaken. So I just want you to picture someone who, when he's coming through the door of your house, they have to down for them to pass through. How big he is. That's a big man. <clears throat> and the Bible says he had bronze helmet. A bronze what? Helmet. On his legs he wore bronze greaves. Covered. He had a bronze javelin which was slung on his back. He wore a coat of scales, armor of bronze. And the Bible says they weighed 56 kgs. Just the armor that he wore, the coat that he wore, it weighed 56 kgs. I was trying to process 50 kgs. If you have, if you are from big home like me, just think of 50 kg pala. Papalenta. Think of 50 kg roller milk. That's how, he, that's how heavy his armor was. He had a spear in his hand. And the end of the spear, the pointy end of it, it was made of iron. Just that end, that pointy iron, it was 6.8 kgs. I, I, I just want you to see what's happening in the battlefield. He's holding a spear. But the pointy area, the, end, the, the pointing area of the spear is made of iron. If you weigh just that iron, it's, it's 6.8, almost 7 kgs. I want you to picture the probability of David winning the battle. It's almost zero. Because just one throw of this spear on David with a pointing arrow that is 7.6 kgs. It was enough to deal with David once and for all. And you wouldn't want that spear to go anywhere near the chest or the stomach because that will be the end on the spot. This is what Goliath had. But when you look at David, David had nothing. When you compare him to what Goliath had, but when it comes to getting into the battlefield, David wasn't intimidated by what Goliath had. Yes, you are wearing an armor that is 56 kgs. You are holding a spear that is seven, almost seven kgs. Your height is about three meters. You've got so many advantages over me. But when David entered into the battlefield in order to solve a problem, he wasn't intimidated by what Goliath had. He wasn't discouraged also by what he did not have. The only thing that David had was a sling and five stones. That's all that he had. When you compare a sling, five stones, to a 50 kg armor, a three meter tall giant and a seven kg spear. There's no chance. There's absolutely zero chance. But when it comes to problem solving, children of God, you are going to solve some problems where when you look at them in the physical, they are bigger than you. I'm not doing the house this morning. Life always presents challenges that are bigger than you. Can I repeat that? Life always throws challenges that are always bigger than you. It's the nature of life. 
If you encounter a problem that is not bigger than you, it's not a problem. That is why you don't worry over things that appear small to you. The things that worry you is because you have assessed them and your mind is already registering that this thing is too big for me. That's where the worry comes in. The worry is coming in because I'm assessing my problem in relation to who I am and what I have. I only have got five stones and a sling. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. The only challenge with this is if you are allowed to be intimidated by what your enemy has and be discouraged by what you don't have, you are actually getting yourself into a game of comparison. Yeah? You are putting yourself in a game of what? Of comparison. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Those who solve problems, they are not in, in a game of comparison. They don't waste time trying to compare this and this and this. They are there to solve what? They are there to solve the problem. They are there to solve the problem. So I'm saying to you, child of God, don't be intimidated by the size of the challenge before you. Don't be discouraged by what you don't seem to have in the physical. When you compare yourself with what Goliath had, don't be intimidated. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. When I was looking at what Goliath had in comparison to David as a way of studying, <clears throat> you'll notice that Goliath had equipment or what I can call defensive equipment or gear on him. He had a bronze helmet. He, had, uh, he wore bronze grips on his legs. He had a javelin, a bronze javelin slung in his back. He, he, he also wore a coat of scales which was made of what of bronze. These are defensive equipment. Yeah? It's defensive what equipment. And in addition to that, he also had a spear and a javelin. That's offensive equipment. So he's got what he needs. But when David stepped on the scene, he only had what? An offensive instrument. He didn't have what? Defensive. So when you compare them, David is disadvantaged already before the battle starts. But I like David so much because David understands something. That battles are not won because you've got defensive equipment. The secret to winning is on the offensive equipment. I would have worried more if David had defensive equipment but did not have an offensive equipment. Because victory is not derived from a defensive equipment. It comes from an offensive equipment. If I don't have something to attack Goliath, it doesn't matter how protective I am, I'm not going to win the battle. So David found confidence in the offensive equipment that he had. And he says, inasmuch as my equipment appears to be small, when I compare it to Goliath, spear and javelin, but at least I've got an offensive equipment. Am I, am, am I making sense this morning to somebody? That is what you're going to need if you're going to solve a problem. You don't solve problems by being defensive. You solve problems by being offensive. You've got to make a move. You've got to remove the disadvantage on your enemy. That is how problems are solved in life. Brothers and sisters, what I'm sharing with you, these are principles that we need to apply in every area of our lives. If we are going to solve problems in our lives, appreciate the offensive equipment that you have in your hand. That is what is going to give you the advantage. But what tends to happen for most of the people, we spend a lot of time analyzing the defensive equipment of our enemies instead of building confidence on the offensive equipment that we have. As a New Testament believer, the one and most important offensive equipment that you have is the sword of the Spirit, which is God. 
which is the word of God. That is your offensive equipment, the word of God. And I'm so grateful that David understood he had, he had a mastery of his offensive equipment. When, he hold, when he's holding his sling in his hand, he's, he's not somebody who is using a sling like us. You know, uh, we grew up using slings back in the, in, in the rulers. But for us, our understanding of the sling is we only use slings to, for bad hunting. Yeah? For bad what? For bad hunting. But when you look in ancient times, a sling was also a weapon of war. You needed the skill to use a sling. There is a tribe in the nation of Israel who were experts in using slings. Every time they went to battle, they would use slings to fight the battle. So David had mastered the use of a sling, not only to defend his animals, but also to fight the enemy. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. And I'm saying to you, child of God, the next level is for those who are willing to see things differently. The next level is for those who are willing to see what? Who are willing to see things differently. When you look at your sling, you don't despise it. You don't despise the small things that you have because they are small in size. You embrace them. You put value in them because you know that if you put them to use, they're going to change the situation. It's all about problem solving. It doesn't matter how small it is. If, it's, if it has got the capacity, the potential to solve a problem, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Number three. Number three. Must be willing to say no what I'm calling a runaway mentality or a running away mentality. If you are going to solve problems in life, you must be willing to say no to a mindset that just thinks of what? Running away. Every time there's a problem, the default setting is run for your life. Has that become your default setting in your life? I want you to, I just want you to pause and really think. Every time there's a problem, do you move forward or do you move backwards? Every time there's a big problem in your life, what comes to your mind? You're thinking of running away. How can I run away from this? Brothers and sisters, running away is not solving a problem. There are some problems that are never solved by running away. You've got to pray for courage and the boldness to stand and say, I am going to march forward. I am going to march what? I'm going to march forward. When you look at the brothers of David and the rest of the army, the Bible says in verse number 23 to 24, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from God, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it, verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Every time they saw him, they would run away. Every time they saw him, they would run away. Every time he stepped on the scene, they would run away. It had become their default setting. Can you please stop running away from problems? It's time for you to have probably what I can call a head-on collision with your problem. Face them. Face them. Face them. You've got to solve them. You've got to solve them. I, I know some of the problems, they bring tears to you every day and every time. But I'm saying to you, child of God, ever since you've been running away, the problem hasn't gone away. Because running away every day for 40 days, it did not make Goliath to say, you know what, let me leave these people and go back. He would still come back, and I can almost guarantee you that had David not come on the scene on the 40th day, perhaps we would be reading of the 80 days, 120 days, 365 days. 
confined into the same situation. Why? Because everyone had developed a running away mentality. Can I challenge you this morning, child of God? I want you to take some time to pause. Look at what you are calling problems in your life. You are better off praying and say, God, I'm tired of running away. You draw a line and say, enough of running away. Enough of running away because the problem is, in as much as you are running away, you are not even running away enough for you to be away from Goliath. You run away, but the distance of your running away is still keeping Goliath in full view. So you are still intimidated by the same situation because you're running away. It is not a running away from the problem completely. You are running away enough for you to see the problem again and again. And I'm saying to the church of God this morning, if we are going to be problem solvers, it is important that we say no to running away. You need to couple this with last week's teaching. Increase your knowledge about fighting the battle that you're going through. Increase your understanding so that you are not the one who is on the runaway all the time. It's time for you and I to step up and solve the problem. It's time for you to step up and solve the problem. When you look at David, David does not have a reference or a history of running away. He, does, he doesn't have that. Because the Bible says, when he stood up before King Saul, he says, when I was out in the wilderness with my father's sheep, when a bear came, I did not run away. When a lion came, I never ran away, but I would confront the enemy. I would confront the problem, and I would solve the problem. So David doesn't have a history. He doesn't have a habit of running away. David is now wired to the extent that every time he sees a problem, he doesn't think of running away. He thinks of solving it. His mind is saying, how can this be solved? And how can I contribute to problem solving? He's not leaving the problem solving to other people, but he's saying, I must be involved in solving this problem. I must take part in solving this problem. My hands and my fingerprints, they must be seen in this problem-solving endeavor. In my talk to the church this morning, and I pray that may the grace of problem-solving rest upon your life. In your family, in your family, why is it you're the only one who's always running away? You shy away from talking about the problem. That's running away. You avoid necessary conversations at all costs. That is running away. You give excuse after excuse of sitting down and have some of those uncomfortable conversations. I'm saying to you, it's now time for you to stop running away. Sit down and confront the challenge. Why? Because as long as you are still run away, the problem will still remain the same. Number four, beware of engaging yourself in what I'm calling non-rewarding battles. If you are going to solve problems, don't waste your energy engaging in non-rewarding battles. There, there, there are some fights that people engage in. You know, after you have won it, there is no reward. You have won the argument, but you have lost the person. Yeah? That was a man. Teenagers, amen. You stand your ground, you put your facts there, you win the argument, but you lose the relationship. What have you won? That's a non-rewarding word, better. But I like David so much because David comes in and he's asking the most important question, what will be done to the person who is going to overcome this giant? Let me put it in my context. What is going to be done to the person who is going to solve this problem? 
What is going to be done to the person who is going to solve this problem? So before David engages in the battle, David is more concerned about what is going to be done. What is the reward? You know, child of God, we don't just fight for the sake of fighting. No, you, we don't just fight for the joy of fighting. I remember when you were growing up at school, you know, oh goodness. One o'clock was a glorious time. Because all the, all the internal conflicts that were happening in class while the teacher was there, you know, it was now time to really release them. Yeah. And we'll be waiting outside the school gate. There, the date was different to here, you know what? There, the teachers, are, and they were not concerned about what was happening. And hardly would you hear another student going and tell the teacher that they were fighting. There were things for the, outside the gate. And the people would fight for the sake of what? Of fighting and maintaining a position. But listen to me, brothers and sisters, in real life, be able to assess every battle and say, is it worth fighting? Is this battle worth my energy? Is this battle worth my time? Because it's not every battle that is worth fighting. Because most of them, they've got nothing to give you after the fight. Apart from just leaving you drained. Apart from just leaving you frustrated. Because you're not finding the satisfaction from your win. But David stood up and he says, what will be done to the person who is going to kill this giant? So make it a habit in your life that when it comes to solving problems, make sure that you have understood the reward first before you put in a fight. What am I going to gain out of this? For David, he was told that anyone who is going to solve this problem, great wealth from the king is going to come to you. You'll be given into marriage to the, to the king's daughter and takes exemptions. So he knew very well and that was enough for him to, co to, 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 to convince him, to give him the confidence that I can engage in this battle because it's a worth fight. It's going to move me from the wilderness. It's going to take me to the next level. In the wilderness, I don't have any wealth. The wealth that I'm looking after, it is my dad's wealth. It's not mine. My family is not even exempted from taxes as long as I remain in the wilderness. But let me solve a problem. It's going to change things. It's going to usher me to the next level. Brothers and sisters, have you ever noticed that? Life is all about problem solving. And every time we solve a problem, we move to the next level. That's how life is programmed. Those tests, those problem solvings, they come in different shapes and different sizes. That is why at grade 7, they would give you a test. That test, they're asking you to solve problems. So you sit down for a one-hour exam. What are you doing? They are asking you to solve a problem. It's only when you solve a problem that they allow you to move to the next level. If you don't solve a grade 7 problem, they will ask you to repeat it. And repeat it. And repeat it. I know of people that repeated grade 7 four times. Why? Because they could not be moved to the next level. The reason for that was what? They did not solve a problem. Brothers and sisters, even in our workplaces, make it a habit that wherever you are, you are looking for problems not to be part of the problem. Can I repeat that? In your workplace, look out for problems, not for you to be part of the problem, but for you to solve the problem. A lot of you, the promotion that you are fasting for, if only you can solve a problem. Am I, am I being real this house? A lot of the things that Pentecostals would cry for, they are calling for you to solve a problem. Just solve a problem and see. Just go out and solve a problem and you will see. 
even in our relationships. Thank you. Even in our relationships. You know, there are some upgrades that we're looking for from our husbands. And upgrades you're looking for from your wives. Let's balance it. There are certain things that we would do for each other if you can solve some of the problems. Solve a problem to see how much you'll be appreciated and how much you appreciate in value. Am I talking real? Solve what? Solve problems. Even in the house of the Lord, be in the habit of what? Of solving problems. Be in the habit of solving problems wherever you are and in everything that you're doing. Can I just give you examples from the scripture? Joseph was able to move to the next level because he solved a problem. King had a dream which he could not interpret. He called problem solvers of his land. They could not solve the problem. When Joseph stepped on the scene, thank God to that one guy, Kabera, he remembered that there's a man who can solve problems because he solved a problem for me when I was in jail with him behind the bars. And when the king had a problem, Joseph stepped out and he solved a problem. And it was from solving a problem that he was moved to the next level. From being a prisoner, he was elevated to become second in charge in the whole nation. Brothers and sisters, your next level is waiting for you to solve it. That's why I'm saying to you, don't be in the habit of running away from problems. Solve them. It's a call to what? It's a call to solve problems. Esther, she solved a problem. There was a real, real, real problem. But Esther said, I'm not going to run away here. I've got so many ways that I can deal with this one. I can ignore it. Because why? I, I'm living in the palace. I'm safe. I'm okay. But she was willing to solve what? Solve a problem. If you read the Bible in the book of Judges, chapter number four, there's a woman called Deborah. Deborah. There is a battle. And Barak is supposed to go out to the battle. To the very extent that Deborah actually prophesied and says, you know what, go, for God is with you. He's going to give you the victory. But Barak came in and he says, you know what, if you're not going to go with me, we are not going anywhere. And I like the words of Deborah in verse number six. She sent for Barak, son of Abinam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to mount. Verse number seven. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, which his chariots and his troops to Kishon River and give him into your hands. That's the prophetic word. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't what? Won't go. I like verse number 19. Certainly I will go with you. Deborah agreed. But listen to what Deborah said. But because of the cause you are taking, the Honor will not be yours. Am I talking to somebody this morning? Deborah then says, because you have chosen not to take the challenge and you are asking me to go in front, because of that, the honor is not going to come to you. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak and Kedesh. Instead of Barak having his second level, he could not have his second level because the second level had to be taken by one who is solving the problem. And I just encourage you ladies, don't look down upon yourself. If men stand up and say, we can't do it, you jump in and solve the problem. I thought I was going to get a big amen in the house. If they are not willing to solve the problem, you jump in and solve the problem and the next level will be for you. Glory be to God. The greatest of all examples is Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus Christ left the heavens and he came to earth, he came to what? Solve a problem. It was a problem of sin. He came to solve what? He came to solve a problem of sin. 
That is why when you read the book of uh, Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 5, verse number 11, you see Jesus Christ moving to the next level. The Bible says, even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God. Something to what? Something to hold on to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. That is where the problem solving was. Even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus Christ. Every knee should bow down and every tongue should confess under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the next level. Why? Because he solved Because he solved what? Solved problem. Can I conclude by saying to you, child of God, the secret to solving a problem, if we're going to learn it from David, the secret to solving a problem is in 1 Samuel 16, 13, the chapter before. 1 Samuel 16, 13. That is where we find the secret to solving problem. And it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, somebody say, and from that day, and from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. That is the secret to problem solving. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. <clears throat> that is the secret. If we are ever going to solve problems, we need to be a people that are dependent on the Spirit of the Lord. Be Spirit what? Led. That is the secret that unlocks the next level. Joseph was able to solve problems. Why? Because the Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with, what, with who? And the Lord was with Joseph. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to move to the next level in any area of our lives, make sure that you are solving problems. Make sure that you are what? You are solving problems. Don't look at problems and shift them to other people. Be part of the solution. Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. Put your hands to solve the problem, not to make the problem even worse. Especially in our relationships, may God give us the grace. Be part of the solution, not the problem. Next levels are for those who have a mindset of solving problems. They look at the problem. They look at Goliath where everyone is seeing a big problem, but you are seeing an opportunity to step to the next level. When David looked at Goliath, he wasn't intimidated by the size, by the sound of Goliath, but he saw Goliath as a step towards his next level. And I'm saying to you, child of God, in everything that you do, develop a mindset of solving problems. Develop a mindset of solving problems. We contend for the next level by solving problems. We contend for the next level by solving problems in our lives. Let's rise on our feet. Let's rise on our feet. Somebody say, I'm a problem solver. Somebody say, I'm a problem solver. I want you to say like immediately say, I'm a problem solver. In everything that I do, I'm a problem solver. Rise up, child of God, and solve problems. Some of you, God has given you the grace to solve problems that are not only at family level, but that are at community level. Go and solve problems. Offer solutions on the table. Some of you, God has given you the grace to offer solutions that will change nations. Don't sit down and just describe problems and describe problems day after day. Go out and solve the problem. Go out and solve the problem. Take advantage. The Spirit of God is upon your life. You are the salt of the earth. How do we become the salt of the earth? We solve problems. We are problem solvers.
It's in our DNA to solve problems. It's in our nature as children of God to solve problems. Wherever I am, if I see a problem, I don't magnify the problem, but I solve the problem. I solve the problem. In my family, I'm going to be known as a problem solver. In my church, I'm going to be known as a problem solver. In my nation, may I be known as a problem solver. In Jesus' mighty name. I want you to pray this morning and say, God, grant me the mindset, activate in me the spirit of problem solver. That wherever I am, God, I don't want to cry over problems. I want to cry for solutions for the problem. I don't want to have sleepless nights because of problems. I would rather have sleepless nights praying, asking God, inquiring from the Father, concerning the solution to a problem. Not me worrying over this problem, but me being concerned that I want to be part of the solution. That this can change. This situation can change. And I'm going to be part of the change. I want you to pray and ask God for that grace. Lift up your voice and ask God for that Thank you for tuning in to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. To interact with us, please visit our website at afmimmiltonkeens.org or follow us at Ebenezer Fellowship AFMIM on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can also interact with Pastor Danny on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. For easy access, the links are in the description.